Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. I want to start this morning with a question. Have you ever let pride get the best of you? Have you ever let pride get the better of you? We could probably all say, uh, yeah, I, I can point to some times in my life, maybe this morning, <laughs> when I let pride get the best of me. Um, I've probably told you guys this before, but when I was a young man in high school, um, I had my share of insecurities. I wasn't the brightest uh, kid in the class. I wasn't the top of the class. I, I wasn't the, um, the athlete, the star, the stud on the court or on the field. And so I was trying to figure out who I was. And so I picked up the guitar and I started playing and I started to develop this love for country music. And people would say, you're pretty good at that. And so what this became for me is that I wanted to be the next George Strait. That was my, that was my life plan as a high school student. I don't know if you had like some crazy dreams as a high school student, but mine was, I'm going to be the next George Strait. I love George Strait. I, I was a huge fan. I studied his music. I, I, I went to the same college that he went to. And, and I, I even have pictures of myself, my senior pictures of high school. I wore a cowboy hat in my senior pictures. And it just so typified that season of my life. I look back and I'm like, oh, that was the worst decision ever. It's like immortalized there. Terrible, right? It's horrible. It's awkward. But that's where I was. I wear my Wrangler jeans, my tight Wrangler jeans, right? I have a, a belt buckle, you know. I have my, my uh, what they call a brush popper shirt. I mean, I was in mode. I was George Strait. And I would see commercials of George Strait, and he'd, he'd be on the Chevy commercials, and he'd be out on the ranch with his friends roping cows, right? And I'm thinking, I could do this. This is my life. Like, I could, I could make music, and I could go to the ranch and make millions of dollars. And like, oh, it's going to be so awesome, right? I wanted to be George Strait. And what happened as every time somebody would say, hey, you're, you're pretty good, you're pretty good at that. This thing started to grow in me. You see, my insecurities didn't lead me to humility. My insecurities actually led me into pride. This pride began to grow in me. This, this, the one that was never the top of anything all of a sudden started to get a little bit of recognition. And I began to elevate myself in my own mind, thinking Finally, I'll show them how awesome I really am. Now, life went on, and I realized I'm not going to be the next George Strait, right? That's not going to happen. That dream uh, died a long time ago, okay? Never to be resurrected again in Jesus' name, right? <laughs> okay, so I'm no longer living that dream. But as I began to lead worship, people would say, hey, you're pretty good at that. Oh, right? Again, that thing in me. And now, as a pastor, there's still this battle 
if I could just be honest with you, there's still a battle inside of me that even in a gathering like this or a pastor's gathering, there's something in me that's, that wants to say, look how good I am to exalt myself. It's a battle that we have to face. Have you ever let pride get the best of you? Well, this morning as we look at the book of Philippians, we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. If you want to start turning there, this is the Apostle Paul writing to a church that he planted. If you go back to Acts 16, you can see this miraculous unfolding of how this church plant started. It's a beautiful story of a Macedonian call in the middle of the night and and a a slave girl that's a fortune teller and then then them getting thrown in prison and then the jailer and his whole family getting uh, saved. It's all these miraculous occurrences around the planting of this church. And Paul, Paul's like dad right? This is his baby. And so he's, he's now imprisoned in Rome. He's waiting to see Caesar and he's chained to a guard and he's hearing about what's happening in Philippi. And he writes back to give them some instruction. And so we're going to pick this up today. Chapter two, verses one through 11. He says this, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, If any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, do you hear what he's saying? Paul Dad is saying, children, look, if there's anything good, anything wonderful, any comfort in Christ, any fellowship with the Spirit, please, please be united. One. He's speaking in the context of unity, and he says this in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. And so we have the Apostle Paul, sorry guys, writing in the context of unity about humility. About humility. He's, he's beginning to point out some unity killers. And, and look with me again at verse 3. He says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. 
Now, if you're a parent in the room, you've probably had this conversation with your child before. You say, Johnny, don't you dare touch your sister again. Johnny, trying to obey and yet trying to not obey at the same time, he just accidentally brushes his hand up against his sister one last time, right? So that you as a parent are like, oh my gosh, I'm going to strangle this child. It is just making me nuts, right? Any parents, any amens out there this morning, right? I, I see you back there in the back row. Thank you, you're with me. Anyone else? No, okay, perfect families, praise God. But in my house, we have this conversation a lot. And here's what we say. We say what every parent says to their child. When I say don't do it, I mean don't do it. Right? Now think about Paul, the dad, the apostle, the planter. And he uses some strong words. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Do you, do you feel the force of what he's saying? It's not like he's saying uh, there's a few things that I've heard about and just kind of avoid those. He's like, no, no, no. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. And he, he lists these two unity killers. Selfish ambition and conceit. He's like, these things will absolutely kill the unity, the oneness of this church. And here's what they are. It's selfish ambition. And that word in, in your translation might be translated as strife. It's contention. It's when like we just can't get along. We're always fighting. And what's happening is that pride is really the cause. It's our selfish ambition. This, this word would have had a political tone to it. Like if you're going to put yourself forward as a candidate, right? You're, you're going to say, everyone, please you know, vote for me. I'm the best for this position. It's to put oneself forward. It's to run for office or it would have a tone of seeking position or title. Like you want to be recognized. And he says, this is a unity killer, selfish ambition it's a desire for advancement to elevate ourselves above others and in James 3 now James the brother of Jesus who became a follower of Jesus down that's a miracle in itself James writes this in 3:16 he says for where you have envy and selfish ambition same word there you find disorder and every evil practice like wherever this selfish ambition is allowed to remain you will find disorder and every evil practice it is serious stuff um, John Wesley was a, a famous uh, evangelist pastor he started the Methodist church um, just amazing man of God and when he was a college student at Oxford University he had a club of young men it was like his three or four of his closest friends and these guys like were serious about Jesus so they would read the Bible together they would talk about theology together they would go and serve the poor together they would pray together and they would keep each other accountable and John Wesley created 22 questions here's question number one Am I consciously 
or unconsciously creating the impression that I'm better than I am. What a way to start. I hope the greeters didn't welcome you this morning and say, hey, welcome, welcome to Renaissance Church. Um, are you consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that you're better than you really are? Let's just get right down to it this morning, right? Now, that's how he started his accountability time. It's like he's trying to get to the root of, look, is there something motivating you that's really selfish ambition? It's a unity killer. And then he talks about conceit. In the KJV, that would be vain glory, right? Thy vain glories. This, this word of, of vanity and glory mixed together, it, it would mean excessive or ostentatious pride, especially in one's achievements, right? We have times where we, we do something good and we just kind of strut around a little bit. We're like, yeah, yeah, you, you probably saw how awesome that was right there. Like, I just did that, right? I just, I just made the sale. I just, I just you know, wh- whatever that thing is, and we begin to strut a little bit. It's, it's beginning to think a little too highly of ourselves. It's excessively high opinion of oneself. It's our conceit. He says selfish, ambition, and conceit. These are unity killers. And have you seen how these can kill unity? Have you seen the, the effect of these things in your life? You probably have. It, it causes us to elevate ourselves above others. And, and you've either done the elevating of yourself or you've had someone elevate themselves above you and you've had that feeling of like, ugh, I don't like this. Or to compare ourselves to one another. None of us have ever done that before, right? Comparing how we look or how we talk or how we pray or how we, whatever that thing is, to compare ourselves to one another. It it causes us to devalue others or ourselves based on when you think you're winning or when you think you're losing. And it ultimately will lead us to reject one another. It leads to rejection. So this, this prideful thing that grows in us, this selfish ambition, this conceit will kill unity. And here's the thing. I, I think we live in an age in our culture where we have to be vigilant. Because the, um, the customer service um, um, mentality of our day really sends the message that everything is about you. Right? When you go on your phone and you go to your social media feed, it's been carefully um, selected so that you see the things that you like. When you go into your search engine, everything's been put there based on your previous uh, you know, web visits, and it makes you think that everyone's like me. Here's all the stuff out there. It's, it's a crafted experience that makes you think that everything is about you, we, we live in a day of consumerism, right? Where we really begin to think, gosh, it's all about me. And we see that play out, right? When, when, when you're driving down the highway and you see someone driving as if the whole universe revolves around them. Have, have y'all been there before? You've seen that, right? Or, or maybe you've been that person, right? And you could tell like, hey, I'm sorry we're all on your way today. Um, apparently you're more important than we are. So why don't you go ahead and just cut us all off? 
Right? Or, or when you go to the grocery store and, and you begin to push your cart around the grocery store like the whole world revolves around you and you're, you're you know, pushing in front of people and cutting people off and all that kind of stuff, right? And, and, and you've had that happen before and you get mad, right? Because you're like, hang on. <laughs> There's other people in the world. It's, it's not all about you. And what happens is society begins to unravel because it doesn't work, because it's not reality. The whole world doesn't revolve around us. We're not the center of the universe. So if we look at culture, it's not gonna lead us into humility. In fact, we're just gonna get mad and we're gonna start doing the very same things that everyone else does. So who do we look to? Who, who do you look to when it comes to humility? Paul points his finger at Jesus. And he says, look at him. If you want to know what humility is, look at Jesus. And, and, and he says this in verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Now, this to me is kind of shocking. It's shocking. Think about it. Jesus is fully God. He says it right here, verse 6, who existing in the form of God. So Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, who has eternally existed as God forever, right? And you're telling me that, to, that to, to learn about humility, I'm supposed to look at God because God's the high and God's the holy and he's the exalted one. And, and humility is our job, not his job. But Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Look at Jesus. What he points to is something that is, um, it's bedrock, for Christianity. In fact, if you're new to Christianity, you need to hear this. You need to understand this to understand what we think the, the scriptures teach over and over again. It's this, that Jesus is God incarnate. It's the word incarnation. It's not a breakfast drink or a flower. It's, it's incarnation. It's, it's the, the God-man coming in flesh. It's Jesus, fully God, and fully man. And Paul says, look, if you want to know about humility, look at the incarnation. Now, this is, this is beautiful theology. Think about it. Fully God. Fully God. Existed eternally as God. The word, capital W word in John 1, that creates all things, right? He speaks the world into being, and then he comes as a baby born to a virgin, fully God, and yet someone changes his diaper. Someone feeds him. He's dependent on a mom to feed him. 
to grow as a child to adulthood to learn how to speak and talk and walk and do all the fully human things that we have done and yet to be fully God. It's mind-blowing. It's like explaining the internet to an ant. It's like we just don't get it. Like I don't know how all that works, but in some mysterious way, Jesus is fully God and yet fully man at the same moment he humbled himself think about that how humbling for God to take on flesh and so Jesus reveals this beautiful theology that we serve a God who gives of himself he gives himself away I don't know what belief system you might have grown up with about God, maybe you grew up in a belief system that viewed God as the angry policeman in the sky. And he's just waiting for you to mess up one more time and then that thunderbolt's coming, right? Some terrible thing's gonna happen to you because God finally had enough and he's angry and he's just waiting to get you. But the incarnation means that Jesus reveals what God is really like. That he's not the angry policeman in the sky just waiting to throw another lightning bolt, but he's actually the God who gives himself away, who, who empties himself of the rights and privileges that he has so that he could lift you and me out of our sinful condition to show us that he loves and to be the God who, who gives because he's a never-ending fountain of life. Like he never runs dry. There's never like, uh, oh gosh, we're running out of God. No, no, no. It's like inexhaustible. He can give himself away over and over and over again. He's the God who gives, who gives himself away, who emptied himself of his rights and privileges to serve us. So, who do you look to when it comes to humility? Well, I would say we need to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. How will you know when you've finally gotten to humility? Right? We, we all battle. We all battle pride. It, it gets the best of us. But how do we know when we get there? Well, I think he shows us some things that tells us what humility isn't and what it is. And I just want to kind of walk through those together with us. What does humility not look like? Well, true humility doesn't look like self-promotion. Now, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, if you were to go back and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you're going to see him talk about the hypocrites. And he would say, hey, look, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites that love to go out on the street corner and pray to be seen by men. Have you all read that before? To be seen by men. He said, instead, I want you to go into your room and I want you to close the door and I want you to pray in secret. And the God who sees in secret will reward you. And Jesus over and over again talks about the hypocrites and he uses this phrase, to be seen by men. What he's talking about is self-promotion. You see, there's, there's a twistedness in our, in our sinful nature that will take good, good things like prayer and humility and all the other great virtues and we will twist them around and we will Christianize our flesh. Well, we'll say, 
man, I'm just so tired from praying all night last night. Right? We, we kind of, we do things to, to exalt ourselves or, or we say, oh, uh, having some problems with your children, I see. Hmm. Well, my wife and I, how we do that is blah, 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 right? We, we give out our free, unsolicited advice to help people know how to do things how, as awesome as we do them because we have a twisted thing in us that exalts itself. It's self-promotion. True humility is not self-promotion. Jesus didn't seek his own honor. He didn't think this equality with God is something to be exploited so that when he walked into the room, everyone bows down like, oh my gosh, it's Jesus, right? No, he walks in unassuming, the one who had nothing in his appearance to attract us to himself. And he, he doesn't take all the, all the rights and privileges, but instead he says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many he didn't promote himself. And here's the cool thing. God promoted Jesus. Verse 9. God exalted him and gave him the name above every name. And here's the deal. God cannot promote you if you promote yourself. You need to hear that. You can aspire to good things in the Lord. You can, you can desire to lead. You can desire to do all the wonderful things. But here's the deal. Do not promote yourself. Because God cannot promote someone who promotes themselves. Second thing, humility does not look like self-loathing. Oh, I know this one well. <laughs> I know this one well. Because it makes us fixate on our flaws and our faults. And we say, God, uh, I... I don't think you could ever use me. I'm, I'm not as smart. I don't know the things that other people know. I, I'm, I'm not as uh, bold as that person. I'm not as confident as that person. We, we begin to compare ourselves and, and we say, God, you could never use me because, and you, you fill in the blank with, with whatever fault you're fixating on at the moment. And you see, pride is self-exaltation. And that's actually a false humility. That's a form of Pride, because what you're saying is, God, uh, uh, my issue is bigger than you. You're making yourself big and God small. God, you can't use me because of blah, 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 blah. And what you're doing is you're, you're, it's, it's a, a twisted form of pride in the wrong direction. So true humility is not self Loathing. Jesus never hated himself. He never called himself a worm. He never did any of that stuff. He was truly humble. Truly humble. So it's not self-loathing. So if that's what it isn't, then what is it? Well, here's what it looks like. Verse 3. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. True humility looks like considering others more than yourself. You've heard the phrase before, uh, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of others as more important than yourself. In verse 4, we see this, everyone should look not only to his, his own interest, but also for the interest of others. See, true humility uses its resources on behalf of other people. Look at Jesus emptying himself out. Had every resource uh, that could ever, ever be. He's God. 
And yet he empties it out and he uses his resource on your behalf and on my behalf. Beautiful. Humility uses its resources on behalf of others. True humility does not see any task as beneath itself. Nothing's beneath Jesus. Think about this in verse 7. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. The God of gods, the, the name above all names, takes the form of a servant. There's a a story about D.L. Moody. He's another great evangelist, pastor, preacher from the late 1800s. And, and he would preach to thousands and thousands of people. And people would travel all across uh, the world to come hear him. And there was a conference going on. And, and he was uh, at his Bible school. People would come from Europe. And he saw that um, in the dormitory that these, these, these pastors had put their shoes outside their door. So apparently it was customary in Europe at that time that you would put your shoes outside your door and the servants would come in the evening and take the shoes and clean them and shine them and prepare them for the next day. Well, D.L. Moody is walking the hallway that night and he's praying for the conference and he sees the shoes by the door and he mentions it to a couple of his students and they did nothing about it, right? Americans were like, ah, you know, these Europeans, they don't know anything, right? So the students don't do do anything about it. D.L. Moody when no one was looking, came back and he got the shoes and he took them back to his room and began to clean and polish their shoes. No, no, no one would have ever known except for a friend of his that came, knocks on his door and sees him in there and his friend goes in and helps him finish cleaning and preparing the shoes. The, the man who spoke to thousands of people were coming from all over the world to see was up late cleaning shoes for those who came to see him. That's like Jesus taking the form of a servant, washing his disciples Jesus saw no task as beneath himself. So when we're truly humble, we consider others as more important than ourselves. We use our resources on behalf of others. We see no task as beneath us. We will generously give credit to others. We, We don't have to show everyone how awesome we are. Instead, we can say, look how awesome they are. We give credit to others. And lastly, we can delight in the success of others. That's beautiful. When someone gets the blessing that you've been praying for and you're able to with full joy say, praise God, I'm so happy for you. We, we delight in the success of others. So this is what humility really looks like. When, uh, when Casey and I were fairly newly married, we had some friends that um, went on a trip with us to Colorado. We'd found a house in Telluride, and uh, we got this amazing deal. So we're driving uh, to Telluride, Colorado. And this was before the days of the smartphone with maps on your phone and Siri and all that kind of stuff. Like we didn't have that stuff. We had MapQuest. I don't know if you guys remember the days of MapQuest where you would, you would type in online like where you want to go and it would print off directions. You had to print them on your home computer. It was, it was like top-notch technology at that time. Okay, so we had printed off our directions for this trip 
And so we're driving all the way. I mean, this is a long drive. We're getting there, and, you know, it's like 11 o'clock, and we're, we're trying to find this one road. You know, it's dark. There's black ice everywhere. And if you're from Texas and there's ice on the road, like, we freak out. We shut everything down. Apparently in Colorado, they don't care. That's, like, normal life for them. So I'm kind of freaking out as I'm driving, and, and I'm, like, trying to find this road. Like, where is this road? Like, I know where I need to get, but I have no clue how to get there. Finally, there was this, this gas station that was open, and he's like, oh, where'd you get your map from? You never want to hear that when you're driving. Where'd you get your map from? You're like, uh, map quest. He's like, yeah, that's a seasonal road, and it's only open like in the summer months, and so you've got to do all this thing. And what happened was I knew where I needed to get, but I had no clue how to get there. And I think when it comes to humility, we, 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 we know where to go. We see pride in us. We see the selfish ambition. We see conceit. We see the things in us, and we're like, I, I know I need to get there, but I don't know how to get there. Well, I, I want to close with this. The gospel gets us there. The gospel gets us there. You see, the gospel reveals your true position. It'll show you where you really are. It shows us that we're, we're really in a desperate place. That apart from Jesus, we're, we're dead in our sins. That, that, we're, that we are, uh, we're, we're under the, the control of the evil one. That, that we're enslaved by our own passions. That there's things in us that we even see and we know they're not right, but yet there's a powerless to change them. It shows us our true position. The gospel, it, it redefines our reality. It shows us that at the center of the universe is a God who loves us, but it's not us at the center of that universe. The, the, the gospel tells us that God is for you, but it's not about you. See, at the center of our universe is a big, loving, sovereign God who holds all things and sustains all things. The gospel demonstrates our real worth and value. It can say to you, look, it's not about you, but God really, really, really delights in you. He, he loves you so much that he sent his son to take on flesh and to show you what he's really like, and then he was going to suffer and die He's going to take all the stuff of your life, all the wrong things, and put them on his son Jesus so that every one of those things he could look at and say, forgiven, 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 clean, renewed, restored. It's not about you, but God is for you. It shows us our true worth and our true dignity. And then... This is the coolest part. It frees you from the comparison game. It frees you from the pecking order of life. It frees you from having to feel like you've got to show everyone how great you really are. See, it frees us from that because it tells us this. Good people and bad people are equally 
lost and are only saved by grace through faith. Meaning this, it was never about your good works. It was never about you being better than the the person next to you. It was never about you winning in life. It was never about you being the one who was going to show everyone the right way to do things. It was never about you being the one that has the achievements or, or whatever it is that motivates you. It was never about that thing. All of us are equally lost except for the grace of Jesus. It was always about a perfect God giving a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. I found this quote this week. It's from Tim Keller. He says, The gospel leads us to look at non-Christians and know that they may very well be better people than we are. Have you ever had that happen before? You meet someone and they're like, I'm an atheist. And you get to know the person you're like, this guy's really awesome. He's so nice and he's so humble and he's so giving and it's all, but he doesn't love Jesus. And I'm like trying to reconcile, like how is this guy so good and he doesn't love Jesus? And, and here's what Tim Keller says. We can look at non-Christians and know that they very, may very well be better people than we are. I can look at my Hindu neighbor and realize that he may be a much better father to his children than I have ever been. The gospel gives us the foundation of a humble appreciation of others on which winsome relationships can be built. Do you get what he's saying? That the the fact that it was never about you being good enough frees you from the pecking order of life, the comparison game. And it frees you to love other people people, to delight in them. It's a beautiful thing. So this morning, I want to call us to humility, like true humility, where we don't exalt ourselves, we don't lift ourselves up and, and show everyone how great we are, but instead we are able to humble ourselves, to consider each other more important, to to enjoy one another, to to prize our successes, to delight in what God is going to do in each person. It's a beautiful thing. Let me pray for us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.